You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So the Packers training camp schedule was released, which is nice because it makes it feel like we're a lot closer. Because that's when things get a little bit more exciting. We don't learn a whole lot other than, hey, look who got injured today. That's pretty relevant information. But it's still exciting, and we get to pretend that it matters, and we get to get excited about rookies and how, how great Jimmy Graham is. And Marquez is going to be the greatest wide receiver in the history of the world. Rashawn Gary looks amazing. Kevin King's injured. You know, the whole routine. The problem is, these days are pretty far away. I think the one good thing about it, although it doesn't change very much, is that it actually starts in July. And July is next month. So if you want to, you could just say, hey, football starts next month. We made it. We're basically there. It's kind of like how I tell myself every year that February is, is like, that's the end. Like, football or winter is over in February. It's, it's untrue, and February sometimes is the coldest month ever. And, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of snow, a lot of below zero. March is still going to be cold and snowy. But I just tell myself March is spring, spring is warm, and uh, February is basically four seconds away from March, and that's how I keep my sanity for the last month of... of um, of hell on earth. So that's kind of my strategy for football right now. We are one month away from the beginning of the football season. Translation, we got about 45 days until we get about, you know, one hour glimpses of a team that tells us very little. But I say what I want to say in the way that I want to say it because you don't know my truth. But uh, it starts July 25th on a Thursday. There are 16 public practices, which is awesome. That includes, I believe, family night on August 2nd. I went there last year. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, and uh, my daughter was a nightmare because she's a lot of work uh, to begin with, and the events don't even start until her bedtime, or my bedtime for that matter. So it was a struggle. But it was nice getting to know everybody in the stadium when she started screaming uh, during the national anthem. That was nice uh, getting to be the center of attention felt just like Aaron Rodgers. It was amazing. But um, another cool little addition here, um, August, well, there's several, actually, uh, on top of being an entirely different team with different coaches and different plays, and there's going to be a lot of stuff to watch and get excited about. But August 5th and 6th, we have the joint practices with the Texans. Those are always fun, man. I, I haven't actually seen a whole lot about it um, in a long time. I know teams do it, but I remember when I first heard about it, you know, stuff gets a little extra chippy. I don't know, it's just it's a different wrinkle that you don't get to hear. And it's a public practice, so you get to kind of see stuff. You get a little bit of a better glimpse of what's going on because the other team doesn't really care about, you know, trying to make you look good or whatever, trying to make themselves look good, and they don't like you very much. And if you get hurt, it's not as big of a deal. Although there's generally an agreement that, you know, let's take it easy. Just kind of adds a little bit more of a football feel before football starts, and I'm excited about it. I don't see a downside is the bottom line, other than the potential for somebody maybe slightly more probable that somebody gets hurt. But very slight, and again, it's worth it. Maybe we should start moving in the direction of somebody could get hurt 
and stop moving in the direction of let's just stop practice, stop preseason, stop playing football. I, I just let's just stop. And then, you know, day one, we'll just have all the football players gather together after sitting on a couch and eating potato chips because it's, you know, the CBA says you're not allowed to, to do any push-ups. And uh, watch as 75% of the players get carted off an injury because we're not allowed to practice anymore. Nah, let's, let's play football. Let's play football a lot. That would be great. And not just for my entertainment, but mostly for my entertainment. But the other cool thing about uh, the joint practices which I didn't realize until just this second when I was watching it, or at least I didn't put it together in my head, is that the two joint practices are um, Monday the 5th and Tuesday the 6th. Then there's a day off, or at least a day where we can't see what's going on. And then the 8th is our first preseason game against the Texans. So you take all that little bit of extra energy and, you know, pent-up aggression that you've had. You know, Jadavian Clowney's getting a little chippy, and maybe we don't like him so much. Mike Daniels has, has formed a bit of a dislike for the offensive line of the Texans, which isn't really a fair fight. Mike Daniels against the entire Texans offensive line. I mean, take it easy, Mike. Don't hurt anybody. But it all kind of culminates into our first preseason game in which football players have been dying to finally be cut loose, and you get to cut loose against a team that you've formed a general dislike for. Maybe I'm making that up, and they end up becoming best friends and they want to hang out all the time, but I'm hoping it's the other way around. Just a little, I mean, you know, Again, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I would like to see the defense get fired up for all the reasons that I've talked about several times. You know, go be aggressive, go be mean. Oh, and go win a football job. But that's exciting. And we get a uh, preseason game in Canada. I don't know what exactly that adds, but it's different, and different is kind of cool. I feel like Packers fans are basically like the kids who grew up in a house that was super strict, and you had zero freedom, like there was no TV in the house and you weren't allowed to go outside or speak, right? Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever, you know, it's just it's the same old stuff. And then all of a sudden, the new regime comes in, and it's like, hey, how about we play in Canada and, and have scrimmages against the Texans? Maybe we'll try a new offensive scheme. Maybe we'll have an entirely new defense with our new defensive coordinator. And now I, I just feel like that kid who's broken free and is destroying his life by eating, you know, nothing but, raw taco meat and candy and staying up all night long right it's just i just want things there's no rhyme or reason for it it's just new perfect i want it yeah but what's the point what's your point keep your mouth shut how about that point how about i how about i want stuff but again biggest problem is all these cool new things there's there's just this gigantic month in the middle of it called july don't get me wrong i love fireworks but right now july is between me and football and i don't like july very much so I will be starting a petition that I plan to send to the president to um, skip July this month, this year. If we could do that, that'd be cool. So keep your eyes out for that one. Anyways, um, preliminaries. If you would like to call into the show or just send me a text message, the phone number is in the description. If for whatever reason you have no description to click on because you're listening, whatever, the phone number is 608 501 608 Otherwise, click on my Linktree link of links to get into the Facebook group, buy some sweet Packernet merch, help out the podcast, and jump in the Facebook group. Again, if no links are available, just go to Facebook, type in Packernet, click on the group, there should only be one group, and then, uh, you know, go ahead and join it and uh, hang out, because we're lonely and we need friends. All we have is each other. Literally nobody in that group has anything else. And if you don't join... 
you are saying you hate us all. So I don't know. You know, it just kind of depends what kind of a person you are, I guess. I don't know, you know. If you're fine with that, if you can live with yourself, then um, good. I'm happy for you and the decisions that you've made in your life. Congratulations. But, you know, if you're not that kind of person, you want to be a giver and not a taker, then uh, maybe you join the group. I don't really care either way. Burn. All right, let's take a break, and we'll talk about stuff. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So this obviously wasn't the plan because I literally got this message at uh, 3.42 in the morning. It is now exactly 4 o'clock. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and uh, pull an audible here. I don't know how you pull one, but uh, we're going to pull it. And uh, the question is coming from Jordan out in Auckland, New Zealand, which I just checked. It's 9 o'clock at night out there. So that's crazy. It's also 56 degrees, rainy, and they have spiders the size of my head. Maybe not that big, but they're big and poisonous, and there's sharks and snakes and everything else. Anyways, here's what Jordan was asking. He says, Was wondering how you think next offseason will play out, given that Kenny will be looking for a big contract, well-deserved. Martinez will be a free agent. Was thinking that those would be the main priorities. However, we also have Balaga, who we should keep. Thank you for that. First time anyone's ever said that, that I've heard outside of myself. As well as solid contributors like Geronimo, Lowry, to name a few. Given that we have limited cap space next year, what do you think Gutekunst will do? And it looks like Google Voice is confusing when you're not in the country. So in that case, um, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, however you want to hit me up is fine. I like to keep it all in one spot so I can find it. But if you got a question, just find me. It's not that hard, which upsets my wife, by the way. She's still waiting for the day that somebody shows up at our door like a crazy person. I don't know. Please don't do that. I will have to shoot you just on principle. Even if you're just standing on the street, it's like, well... It's either this or I have to give up the podcast, so sorry, dude. All right, so let's look at next offseason. Because there is a lot of concern about uh, the cap situation. I remember this when we started signing all the free agents, and people started saying, well, our cap is kind of doomed. It's definitely not in the best shape that it's ever been, um, but it's it's not that bad. I mean, we, we have teams this year who are negative, who are making it work, like the Vikings and everything else. And I think what the Packers did is they tried to lock up a lot of their core guys. And some of those core guys are brand new. Like Zadarius is now a core guy, whether he's any good or not remains to be seen. 
but there isn't a huge amount of volatility. In other words, we shouldn't need, if we need a lot of money for free agency next year, that's not a good situation. We have the offensive line, we have the defensive line, we have the corners, we have the safeties, we have the quarterback, we have the wide receivers. We've got a couple guys, as you mentioned, that we got to lock up, but, you know, the cap space will go up, we'll shimmy some stuff around, maybe make some cuts, you know, whether it's Jimmy Graham, maybe Balaga, Tremont, whatever. Not that that's going to save money, because some of those guys are free agents, but you see what I'm saying. But at this particular point in time, the Green Bay Packers have $13.687 million in cap space. Um, I anticipate that number going up. And I know a lot of people that are panicking are probably looking at Track, which says we are uh, like negative $2 million next year. Track has not adjusted the salary cap for next year. Now, we don't know what that's going to be. We don't know if that's going to be. That's not necessarily a guarantee, but it goes up about 7% a year. Um, the last two years, it's been 6-ish. So this past year, it went up 6.21%. The year before, 611 uh, prior to that, seven five eight three seven three eight point one. Then you had a really dark period where for four years, uh, 1.9, 0.5, negative 2.40. Actually, that wasn't a zero. It was an uncapped year, and the rest of the slow ones were probably trying to compensate for the uncapped year. But if we even go up conservatively at about 6.5%, that puts us at $200 million. I checked uh, over the cap. If you take what they say we have in liabilities and then add in what we have left over, that gives you what they anticipate. That puts us at 199.98. They basically put us at $200 million, which is pretty exactly what I figure it will be in and around that. From there, it kind of depends. Uh, if you look at Track, they're saying we have about $10 million left over. Over the cap says we have 13 But somewhere in the range of 10 to $13 million in available cap space next year. That's if the cap goes up kind of similar to what happened the last couple of years and the, the volatility and that doesn't change too much the only thing that's going to really hurt is if the salary cap for whatever reason just doesn't go up right the difference between six and a half and going with the average over the last you know however long this has been in place 7.15 it raises about a million bucks so maybe for every percentage we're talking about maybe a million dollars mathematically it's more than that but it, whatever doesn't change all that much we're looking at between 10 and 13 let's say We've done this before, but let's just look again at the available uh, free agents for next year. Mike Daniels, 31 years old. Brian Balaga, 31 years old. Tremont, 37. Crosby, 36. Uh, Geronimo, 26. Mercedes Lewis, 36. Jason Spriggs, Kyler Fackrell, Dean Lowry, uh, Danny Vitale, Lucas Patrick, um, Justin McCray, Trevor Davis, Blake Martinez. I'm skipping a few. Adam Pankey, Robert Tanyan, Jay Kumaro, Reggie Gilbert. Uh, Fatal Brown, Kendall Donerson, Tyler Lancaster, Tony Brown, uh, James Looney, Trey Carson, Anthony Coyle, Gerhard DeBeer. Pretty sure some of these guys aren't even on the team anymore, but whatever. Could be wrong. Maybe they're just buried and I haven't heard their name in a while. Um, Sam Ficken, but obviously we're not going to carry both of them anyways. And I guess Alan Lazard. So it's a big list, but I think a big chunk of these guys aren't even going to be on the team next year. Or excuse me, not even on the team this year. I mean, if we go from the bottom of the list, I don't even start caring until maybe James Looney might get some kind of a contract. Um, Tony Brown, but that won't be a very big contract. Tyler Lancaster, I think, has a good shot of getting a contract, but it won't be a big one. Um, guys like Reggie Gilbert, Jay Kumaro, um, I don't know. Um, I've said pretty publicly and openly 
despite uh, not a lot of love. I don't think it's... Let's say it's not a guarantee Jay Kumaro is playing for the Packers this year. I know he could. It's just that there's so many guys. And when you factor in that he's 28 years old, undrafted free agent, basically zero production outside of, you know, preseason and practice, I don't know that he's getting a monster contract next year. We need to worry about him. Same is true with Reggie Gilbert. We love him in the preseason. He doesn't do anything in the regular season, and we just stacked up on outside linebackers. I don't see him getting a contract next year. So, so far, there's really nothing to worry about. Robert Tanyan, I don't know. I would assume he's going to get a contract. I think Robert Tanyan is kind of following a similar track in my mind so far to um, Richard Rodgers. Richard Rodgers, it was every year Packers fans wanted Ted Thompson to draft a tight end to replace Richard Rodgers. Even though he wasn't necessarily a hated guy, it was just understood that that needs to be upgraded. It never really got upgraded, and he stayed on the roster forever because he was consistently the most talented tight end we had on the roster despite being eh, sub-mediocre. Maybe we'll just stick with mediocre. So as of right now, Robert Tanyan's probably going to get a very, very small contract. But um, again, that's really just a lack of depth. Adam Pankey, very liked among Packers fans, but I still don't really understand it. He's fine, but the love of him, especially at tackle, just kind of confuses me. Either way, he's not breaking the bank. I'll skip Blake for now. Trevor Davis... You know, again, if he stays, it's going to be in a very limited capacity. We're looking at a guy that's 27 right now. That would make him 28 next year. It, you know, he, he's on the fence already. Looking at next year, unless he really blossoms in this offense, in which case, fine, pay the guy. But even so, he's not going to crack $10 million or anything like that. That would be ridiculous. We're talking a couple million bucks, maybe. Uh, Justin McCray, if he stays, he's going to stay as a backup, and he's going to get paid backup money, which is barely better than what he's getting now. Same is true with Lucas Patrick. If he ends up making it, Danny Vitale, if he even makes the team, um, he's a fullback. He's not going to make, I don't know if he'd crack a million bucks. And he's already making 675 so okay. Um, skipping a few. Kyler Fackrell is pretty interesting. I think this could be a big year, as, as much as that seems silly. The, the premise that I have for him right now is that he's going to be a great situational pass rusher. Um, he, he was never really ideal as an every-down guy, but we know that he's got some, some great athleticism. He's, he's pretty solid in coverage. He's a speed rusher, and I think with the guys we have, especially with the power guys that we have, having Kyler be like the one speed rusher that adds that extra added dynamic, even though he's really lacking in certain areas, I think he could be a really solid pass rusher. Now, with that said, we have invested a lot of money in that position. We are not going to be investing a lot more. So if Kyler stays, it's going to be with the understanding that you are a backup, basically number four on the depth chart. You are a situational pass rusher who comes out very situationally, and you're going to be paid with that discount. Now, if he has a great year, that might be kind of hard to keep him. Somebody else out there will say, I'll take a situational pass rusher today and pay him five, six, seven, eight million, whatever, and the Packers won't. So we might just lose him that way, but the bottom line is we're not going to pay him a lot of money. Um, Jason Spriggs, it's in my mind, it's sort of a problem that solves itself. This is a prove-it year for him. If he proves it, then um, we're probably going to end up paying him, but that's okay because we want to pay him, and it might mean that Brian Balog is moving on because we have that figured out. Plus, I, in my mind right now, a very good chance we draft a tackle in the first round next year, as much as that seems crazy to predict that when I just look at the needs and the way that it's shaken out with being super... Um, awesome on offense. Everyone's talking about the wide receivers and the quarterbacks and running backs, but offensive tackles are also solid in that draft class. 
But, you know, it, it, it's, again, it solves itself. If Jason Spriggs is the guy, then we'll pay him. And it's, you know, probably still not even going to be that high because it's high risk. But then we don't have to worry about Brian Balaga. If he's not the guy, then we don't have to pay him at all. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, I anticipate being gone, but we'll see. Uh, if you have not done it yet, I posted a video by Brett Coleman, who is just, I absolutely love his videos. I feel like I love it even more every single time. There's something about it. I, I just, football's confusing, and it's very complicated. And when I go online and try to understand concepts and things and read articles, it's like, I just, this is so crazy. Like, it just it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. Like, you can just keep digging, and it just never ends. It's like digging to China. You're just, you're never going to get there. You know, it's, it's sort of like you go on these little Wikipedia things where it's like, oh, what's this about? What's this about? And they got all these links. That's that's football. Like, oh, I want to learn about the 3-4 defense. Oh, okay, well, then there's 75 terms in there that you don't understand. you got to learn all those, so you open up all these pages and go down these rabbit holes. But he puts these videos, and it's like, that makes perfect sense. It's like, that's crazy. But anyways, he was talking about George Kittle for the San Francisco 49ers, and the reason it's super important for us is that's essentially the scheme that we're running. That's that's the same concepts. It's outside zone, and everything builds off of outside zone, and it's it's very exciting to watch. And obviously, you know, it it when you watch the video, you just think, oh, this, so this can never lose. Like he just you understand why it's so successful for the Rams and the 49ers and everybody else. But obviously, there there are ways to stop that the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl so it's not unstoppable but you understand sort of the the benefit of having a tight end and so it's, I think it's really going to be LaFleur Le, needs and this this kind of goes back to the question of why are they emphasizing tight end so much watching that video kind of helped me understand that's a pivotal piece in this offense because it's all about misdirection and it's not just the the tight end there are other people that that work this way but it, it all kind of revolves around just to give you cliff notes I guess the outside zone and, and the benefit of it, and I've mentioned this before, is you get going way to the outside and you do it really fast, you force the team to flow quickly, right? Inside zone, it's, it's good for guys like Aaron Rodgers because they hit the hole quickly and it, it just is over in a flash. Outside zone is a little slower developing, but you get everybody going the, the other direction, and if you're successful doing it, the linebackers, as soon as that ball snapped, if they see the, the line move in one direction, they have to sprint to the sideline. So let's say you're, you're going outside zone just to the left side of the field. George Kittle is lined up, or, or whoever, Mercedes Lewis in our case, let's say, or, or uh, Jimmy Graham, whatever, lined up on the left side of the line. He looks like he's blocking down on somebody because he's done that 7,000 times in a row, but this time he slides out and he runs straight to the right side of the field. He crosses the face of the linebackers who are in a dead sprint to our left. Well, now he's wide open. There's nobody there. The linebackers are, are, are over-pursuing because they have to, because if they hesitate, they get burned to the outside. Automatic, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards if the linebackers aren't flowing fast enough. So the point is, it's going to be a pivotal piece, and, and the ability for a tight end, whoever ends up being the top guy, you could say it's a guy like Mercedes. You know, the, the thing about Kittle that was especially impressive is his speed. So when I look at that, I'm looking at, you know, Tanyan could have a place. Obviously, Jace, even though he's not as fast, very athletic. He's, his play speed is a lot faster than his 40 time. I could see that being successful. The problem is, this is all predicated on the defense believing that this person is going to stay in and block. And that means that, you know, for every time that we fake the run and, and go out this way, he has to actually stand in and block. And if, if Jace can't do it, that's where a guy like Mercedes Lewis, even though he's not as fast or whatever, he could have a pretty important role where he's he's out there as a blocker, which hopefully that's how we use him, and he's successful as a blocker, which, if we remember, he's pretty good at that. 
but then you have him. So in other words, he could be a pretty solid piece. I'm still assuming he's going to be gone, but if he ends up being a pivotal piece to this offense, you know, I don't know, what's another year? We're only paying him $2 million bucks. Granted, 37's pretty old, but the point is, forget Mercedes Lewis, somebody's going to stick around. I don't know who it's going to be. I think Jimmy Graham could actually have a really good uh, opportunity in this offense. I know he's not the greatest blocker, but I think he's he, he's underrated for sure. He's not good. I'm not saying he's good. I'm saying people think of him as like the worst blocker in the, on the planet. I don't think that's true. He's kind of bad like most tight ends are bad. I think he was actually the best blocking tight end we had last year, if I'm not mistaken. Again, not good, but better than everybody else. And yes, I've seen all the clips. He was terrible. Again, I'm, I'm fully acknowledging that. But um, I don't know, J- Jimmy Graham in this kind of offense, maybe could get a little bit of resurgence going on. That would be pretty exciting. He's got enough speed and size to be able to make that work. Um, I, I, obviously, my, my number one thing here is, is Jace. I want Jace to be the guy. He could have a monster year. I'm not going to say he could be George Kittle because he doesn't have exactly the speed. But considering how good of a route runner he is, how good of a receiver he is, I think he could just dominate. And again, in that case, we don't have to worry about Mercedes. We don't have to worry about Jimmy Graham. But anyways, go check out that video. It's pretty good. Geronimo, I, I just don't think he's coming back. Maybe. And I, I kind of said that this past year. We only signed him to a one-year contract, which kind of says a lot in and of itself. I was surprised that we did that. Similar to what I've said about everybody else, if he has a monster year, which I doubt because he's Geronimo Allison, not to say, you know, it's, it's not as bad as it sounded when I said it, but I think we know what he is. Again, for the billionth time, I see him as a Richard Rodgers type guy. Reliable, good enough, but he's basically only there because we have not found a good enough replacement to get rid of him. Packer fans, a lot of them don't agree with me. Some think he's going to have this big monster breakout year. I don't see that. I think he can be productive. I think he can be whatever. But I think if we had good enough, capable number two and three wide receivers, if this was back in the day of Devontae and Jordy and Cobb when they weren't old and decrepit, Geronimo would be an afterthought, especially if we had the amount of depth that we had. I think we are a Marquez Valdez-Scantling breakout year away from getting rid of Geronimo, especially, again, it's a contract year. You know, if he's looking for more money, I mean, if he doesn't have a good year, we're not going to resign him. If he does have a good year, I don't know that we're going to pay him. Mason Crosby's kind of an interesting question. I hate the idea of getting rid of him. I want to just pay him whatever. But the guy's getting paid $5 million a year, and he's 36. Not that that super matters. He can kick till he's 50. And I hate the idea of not having a good kicker. And I really don't think Sam Ficken is going to be the guy to just come in and be like, oh, yeah, he's going to replace Mason Crosby. No, man. Look, I know it's it's considered a cardinal sin. Just draft a guy. Like, be intentional. Don't just go to the scrap heap and say, okay, this is going to be our next kicker for the next 25 years. Man, we, we need to have a contingency plan. You don't just cut him because, oh, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. Which, by the way, that may happen next year. Please brace yourself for drafting a kicker next year. I don't want to hear Packers Twitter melt down. Finding guys like Mason Crosby that can kick for you for 10, 15, 20 years is kind of important. We've seen how horrible it is with punting. It can be even worse with kicking. Right? We, we went through the Jake Frost. We're still not even through it. We still haven't found a good punter. Hopefully, J.K. can be the guy. I'm optimistic, but I, you know, it's a painful thing to watch. Mason Crosby is solid, and when we get rid of him, I'm hoping it's because somebody is there to take his place. So we'll see what happens next year. I would be stunned if Ficken takes his place this year because that's ridiculous. But you're talking about a 37-year-old kicker that wants $5 million a year, which is half our salary cap. Granted, it won't be structured that way, but it's still, it still is what it is. It's a lot of money for a kicker. Um, Tremont Williams, I don't in any way suspect he's going to be there. Big, big fan of Tremont, have been since forever. 
I love that he's on the team. It just doesn't make sense. We're talking about a 38-year-old uh, cornerback when we have a, a massive pile of young, talented corners, and we just got uh, two new safeties. Uh, Brian Balaga, we'll see. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind keeping him. I mean, there are several tackles, especially right tackles that can play. You know, the, the Joe Staley's or, or whatever of the NFL, he's playing at an extremely high level. He's 34 years old. He's not even slowing down yet. I understand Brian Balaga gets injured. I also understand when he's healthy, he plays well. And Aaron Rodgers is safe. And I don't really have a problem as long as there isn't a, a sh- any sign of, of rapid decline, which there isn't. I don't really see anything wrong with re-signing him, especially since I don't think his salary cap is going to go through the roof. Because again, we're talking about a guy that's getting up in age. And if anything, I think the negotiating power is in the hands of the Packers who are saying, look, we kind of want to move on or we, we need to, but if we're going to re-sign you and if you'd like to stay, it's, there's going to be a pay cut involved. Um, and then, anyways, the, the last couple of guys are the guys that I skipped, um, Blake Martinez and Mike Daniels. Mike Daniels is the one that could hurt. I mean, I guess several of these can, but if you look at if you look at how much actually gets paid out in the first year, the Packers, if you look at Preston and Zadarius and whatnot, they're paying about 50% of the average. So, for example, Preston Smith is averaging $13 million a year. His 2019 cap hit is $6 million. That's about 50%. Uh, Zadarius Smith is getting $16.5 million a year on average, you know, all in, and his 2019 cap hit is 7.25. Again, right around a little less than 50%. So if you look at it from that standpoint, we go from about $13 million to about $26 million in terms of if we're just looking at average, you know, whatever we spend, average per year. We have we have 26 ish 25ish million dollars in average contract dollars. So if we want to assign Mike Daniels to another, you know, 2 to 3 years and maybe drop his average per year to 8, which means we pay him maybe 4 this year, although it's probably going to be more if it's a shorter contract. It's hard to distribute the money out. But whatever, a 3-year contract for 8 million bucks, maybe we're paying out 6. We still got about 20 million dollars in average per year dollars to spend. And you look at Blake Martinez, Blake Martinez is only 26. If we give him a four-year extension at, I don't know, $6 million? I'm, I'm just kind of making up numbers. But then we pay him about $3 million in, in cash or cap hit this year. It, it barely moves the needle. We got $17 million, or, you know, actually that's average per year. I'm messing that up. I'm conflating the two to make the numbers a little bit better on accident. But whatever, you know, $7 million in real cap dollars left after that. And beyond that, I don't, I don't know who needs to be signed. And we also have to remember that there's going to be money freed up probably by the end of this process. Jimmy Graham maybe doesn't make the cut. I know I said he could thrive in this offense. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But several people who could be cut this year that saves money next year. There's going to be people that could be cut next year that are going to save money for next year. Um, I would say that it's true that we're probably not going to be going out in free agency in a massive way. But it's not true that we are in salary cap trouble. We have enough money to sign the guys that we want to re-sign. And if, you know, just just look at one guy like Jimmy Graham, that's going to save us 11.6 million bucks. That's if we cut him this year. Next year, it'd be about 8 million. But that's still, that's that's a massive number. I mean, to be completely honest, and you, you mentioned Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark isn't a free agent until 2021, but obviously we want to sign him as early as possible. If, if this isn't the year to do it in 2020 because money isn't great, that's fine. But even if we wanted to, we could cut Jimmy Graham, use even just the 8 million if we do it next year, and that'll be enough for Kenny Clark, not because he's only worth $8 million, but that'll cover the 2020 cap hit, right? I mean, what's he going to get, 16 17 $18 million? 
It's going to be big. I don't think he's going to get Aaron Donald money. I don't think he's going to crack two hundred or twenty million because I don't think he's that elite of a pass rusher. I think he's a very good, well-rounded guy. But he's he's not getting double-digit sacks. He's what is he going to get six, seven, maybe? And again, if we're talking sixteen million dollars, we're going to pay him maybe seven. That's what we did with Zadarius. So a, a Jimmy Graham cut is going to pay for the first year of a new Kenny Clark contract, which is going to be very big. You know, there's other people too, you know, Lane Taylor. And I know people think I'm too hard on Lane Taylor and I've acknowledged that he's maybe a better guard than I've given him some credit for, despite giving up more sacks than anybody in the NFC North. But he's just kind of mediocre. But you got to understand, given his play style, is he worth in 2020? Do we want to pay him $6 million? I'd rather have the $6 million. So bottom line is we've got options. I don't think the Packers are super worried about the money situation. Um, they're going to come in above the cap. They're going to free up additional money on top of it. If they absolutely have to, they can restructure, but they usually don't need to do that because they're responsible enough with their salary cap, so they don't need to push out money like that. And I will acknowledge that this is a very expensive year, but the fact that it's so expensive and it's still under the cap is, is actually really impressive. Aaron Rodgers getting $32.6 million, Zadarius 7.25, Devontae 16.6, Bakhtiari 14.2, Preston 13.5, then you got Jimmy again, who I would anticipate being gone, but 11.6. Corey Lindsley, 10.5. Amos, 9.4. The other thing I love about this, you look at some other teams, and you look at who the, is at the top, it's it's just kind of a mess. You've got guys that they wanted to keep on their team, so they give them these contracts, they're backloaded contracts, and suddenly you're paying your right guard the second most of anybody on your team. It doesn't make sense. At the top of the list, who do we have? Aaron Rodgers, number one player on the team, most important guy, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Who's next on the list? Next on the list is our number one, probably maybe, pass rusher on this team, possibly the second most important person on this team, with the exception of uh, David Bakhtiari, who was wildly underpaid. Then you have Devontae Adams, number one wide receiver. David Bakhtiari, our left tackle. Preston Smith. I mean, th- this line, this list is basically a list of the most important people on this team, which is a big statement to say, given we don't know Zadarius and Preston. But just positionally, quarterback, number one pass rusher, number one wide receiver, left tackle, number two pass rusher. You know, Jimmy Graham doesn't really fit. Corey Lindsley, center is a pretty important position. Corners up there, but we're we're just not paying them very much yet. Jair's about to get a big payday one of these days. It's just not anytime soon. You know, I mean, for example, if you look at the Bears, a lot of it kind of makes sense. If you look at the number two is Kyle Fuller. It's their top corner. Uh, number three is Khalil Mack, whose price is about to skyrocket. Then Akeem Hicks, which, you know, whatever. But the, their highest paid guy is Allen Robinson. That's dumb. Now, granted, a lot of this just has to do with underpaid guys like Kyle Fuller and Khalil Mack. And that somewhat gets rectified next year with Khalil Mack and Kyle Fuller being on top. But you're still looking at Allen Robinson at number three, Leonard Floyd at number four, Akeem Hicks at five, Eddie Goldman at six. It just, Leonard Floyd is not good. And then your next two are both defensive tackles. Akeem Hicks is good, Eddie Goldman, decent. I don't know, maybe not the greatest example, but you get what I'm saying, right? It doesn't sit well when you're looking at whatever your cap situation is, and Allen Robinson is making that much money because he's not worth that much money. Or how about the Jets? Let's just pick a dysfunctional team. Leonard Williams is getting paid the most. He's a defensive tackle. C.J. Mosley is getting paid the second most. He's a linebacker. Tremaine Johnson is getting paid the third most, which kind of makes sense, except he was kind of a bust. Then you have uh, Kalecio Semele, who is a left guard, getting paid the next most. So defensive tackle, linebacker, corner, guard. And then you have your left tackle and, and, uh, and 
and Le'Veon Bell, which even Le'Veon Bell, as good as he is, is a running back. Where's all your money tied up? Well, defensive tackles, linebackers, running backs, guards, basically all the stuff that nobody else cares about, that's where all your money is going, which is why you're not a very good team, which is why your GM got fired. So I guess to sort of sum up my answer to the question, I would expect that we are going to relatively comfortably re-sign the people that we want to re-sign. I think the salary cap is more or less going to take care of itself. Again, I'm seeing about 10 to $13 million in available cap space. We're talking about Mike Daniels, Brian Balaga, and Blake Martinez as the, the more or less the bigger ones. Even Blake, if we re- decide to resign him being an inside linebacker, isn't going to break the bank. Mike and Balaga being a little bit older, you know, they, they might be asking a lot of money, but we're certainly not beholden to them as much as it would be hard to lose them and it would be a step backward. That's kind of what football's about, and, and the Packers are going to make the right decision. And, it's, you know, anybody that wants to freak out next year is out of their mind. We're, we've already got guys this year talking about, we, you know, we might cut or trade Mike Daniels. We should get rid of Balaga, whatever. If that's the biggest hit we have to take is, is losing a right tackle and uh, Mike Daniels, still going to be probably a better defense than we had, you know, last year and in years prior. The right tackle spot is the one that scares me the most. That's going to be to protect Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's going to be, um, you know, we've, we've seen what that looks like. You know, we, we've seen the defense without Mike, Mike Daniels. It does take a step backward. But again, he's a defensive tackle. We've got Kenny Clark. We've got Blake Martinez. We've got better outside linebackers that are going to be able to help. Strong safeties. All that stuff that are going to be able to come in and help to supplement the loss of a guy like Mike Daniels. Losing a right tackle is going to hurt. Which is why, again, I say if we draft a right tackle in the first round next year, first or second round, whatever, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of important in my mind. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you very much, Jordan, for the question. And uh, this is definitely something we're going to revisit a little bit later because what happens as far as, you know, the the final cutdowns and who makes the team and who doesn't is going to impact next year. And it's all going to be positive, not necessarily for the team, but for the cap. Worst case scenario is we don't do anything to benefit the cap next year because we want to keep everybody. Um, if there is a change, it's going to be for the positive. Right? We're not going to lose cap space. I mean, we can. We can still sign somebody. But I'm thinking it's more likely we go in the other direction of, of you know, either getting rid of somebody that's going to free up cap space or solving some of the questions of having to resign some guys. Some of the guys that are up for free agency next year are not going to be on the team. So anyways, you folks, enjoy your Thursday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.